what's interesting about you know crypto art NFTs, they enable you to directly speculate on culture and to be financially compensated for recognizing and creating global culture. And I think that becomes really powerful, particularly when you just think about kind of how marketing and how you promote things online. And so like Latabo has her process of how does she promote something personally? But I feel like I'm on Latabo's team, like Latabo's head of marketing. I'm here to tell the world about her because her work is amazing. And I have made an investment in her in buying her early pieces. And so now I'm financially incentivized to share her with everyone I know. So I will annoy you because everyone I talk to, I'm going to show a picture of Latabo's piece. And that didn't happen before. Today's episode was streamed live to and invited audience participation from Clubhouse. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, Join Coindesk's Michael Casey and Sheila Warren of the World Economic Forum as they explore the connections between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. This episode is brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. now, here's Sheila Warren. Hello, I'm Sheila Warren, and welcome to Money Reimagined. Today, we're bringing you the second part of our series on non-fungible tokens, or NFTs. And for the first time, we're doing this on Clubhouse. In the first episode in this series, which we highly recommend you listen to first, we spoke with Nana Decking, who spent most of his life as a fine art dealer at prestigious institutions like Sotheby's, for taking on a role as the CEO of the blockchain for art company called Artery. We talked on that show about the fundamentals, what are NFTs and what might they offer, and about how new models of ownership are poised to revolutionize the art world. And we tapped Nana's experience to explore how control over information dictates how value is determined for creative works, whether those works are physical or digital. Now this week, we're focusing on people on the other side of the transaction, the creator and the collector. Like many things, artists turned increasingly digital as artists explore new mediums enabled by technology and new venues for displaying their artwork. For creators, this can generate new exposure, but it can also introduce issues around monetization. Platforms that host content from creators often take a cut from any sales, generally over 5%, sometimes as high as 50%. And that's not even getting into the complexities around the potential for replication, misattribution, or the inability to reap the benefits of art being shared or repurposed. And that's strictly relevant when it comes to digitally native art. So is it fair to be limited in your livelihood by your medium? And who exactly is empowered and encouraged to present and sell their work to traditional venues? Now, there hasn't been a ton of work done to analyze the racial gap in art in the United States, but the few studies that do exist have found that more than 75% of artists in America whose primary source of income comes from the arts are white. By contrast, only 7.5% are black. As of 2018, a total combined auction value of Black artists made up just 1.2% of the global auction market, and that dwindles to just 0.26% when you exclude sales of Basquiat's. The racial gap among artists in America isn't, of course, a question of desire, talent, or ability. It's about money. For one thing, art school can be very expensive, often costing upwards of $120,000 or more. And that becomes even harsher when you factor in that only about 10% of art school graduates actually go on to make a living as artists, 
And even that group is super top heavy, meaning most of the income goes to a very, very small number of artists who, like Basquiat, managed to hit the big time. A formal art education often comes with access to the network of galleries and collectors that Nana described last week, but it's not something everyone can afford. So can NFTs help address these inequities and provide new models of economic value to creators? To clarify, the NFT space is new and still quite small. It's estimated there have been just over $76 million in NFT art sales total, which is pretty minuscule compared to the overall $67 billion fine art market. But there's a reason NFTs have drawn the attention of the crypto economy, and today we're going to explore why, and also talk more generally about the Black crypto art ecosystem and how NFTs can be a tool for economic empowerment. To get into the details, we're joined by two guests, Kai Sheffield, who's the head of crypto at Visa, and who on the side is deeply exploring crypto art, and Latavo Huma, a digital artist from Pretoria, South Africa. Before we greet them, let's say hello to my co-host, Michael Casey. Hey, Michael. Hello, Sheila. So it seems like even in this one week, the short time since our episode with Nana, NFTs have absolutely blown up. They're dominating crypto Twitter, uh, and not to mention conversations here on Clubhouse. They're just top of mind for so many different kinds of people. Yeah, I don't know if was I texting you at like one in the morning last night? I certainly was. I, <laughs> you were? I, I was going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Some of the things like the Nyan cat selling for 300 ETH on Friday. Yep. But as I sort of read in last night, just going through Twitter, I mean, just the past week, it just seemed fascinating. We had former MLB star, Major League Baseballer, Micah Johnson, who's now an artist in his own right, this really interesting Aku, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's inspired by Black Empowerment Dreams and that sort of drawing bidding in these you know, really interesting new NFT art forms, digital art forms. This Eula Beats project is fascinating. That's combining music beats with generative art. The whole generative art thing is amazing. This AIs being used, you know, Mark Cuban is calling this a revolution. Right. <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk is into this space right now. It's suddenly, it's just almost as in the past week or two weeks, it has really taken off. Yeah, and of course that reflects the amount of activity that was happening prior, right? When something bursts into kind of popular consciousness, and particularly if it attracts sort of celebrity investment, there's been a lot of work that's happened prior to that. So why don't we turn to our guests to kind of talk about that? And they've both been paying attention to this for far longer than it's erupted into popular consciousness. So um, Kai, let's start with you. I'd love to just hear about your journey to NFTs. You know, I know you're really interested in crypto art as a collector. You've also created NFTs. So talk to us about that journey. Yeah. So first, thanks for having me. And quick disclaimer, I'm here in my personal capacity as a crypto art collector. So these are my own opinions and do not reflect those of my employer. Uh, so I really, you know, started uh, late last fall and I was spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, how crypto can become a vehicle uh, for Black economic empowerment. And I felt that crypto is simultaneously, it exists as a new technology, an industry, and an asset class. And with each of these realms, there are opportunities to help you know, close racial wealth disparities. And just thinking about crypto as a new asset class, you know, first there's Bitcoin, where we've seen uh, a ton of energy and activity within the Black community you know, buying you know, Bitcoin. Uh, but we also see crypto has the ability to take existing assets and make them more accessible. Uh, and so it's been fascinating to really see this evolution where crypto started as really just a, a new asset, a new form of money, you know, monetary system like Bitcoin. Then crypto started to become a way to represent existing currencies, you know, like stable coins. 
And then now crypto is becoming a way and a new form factor to represent digital media and art. And there's just such an opportunity around, you know, how to lower the barrier to entry for artists to be able to monetize their work and reach a, a global collector base. And then to take art as an asset class, which I think is what $65 billion and make it easy to collect. Uh, and so for context, you know, I, I grew up you know, around art. My, my mom is an artist, uh, but I've never purchased a piece of physical art you know, as an adult. Uh, just, it was always seemed like it's a lot of work. Like where, where do I get it? You know, how do I hang it? Like, how do I ship it? It's like hard to resell. Um, and so it just wasn't something that, that I was doing. And I saw the Beeple drop that happened. Right. I think it was you know, in December. And it was amazing. I was like, this digital artist, Beeple, sells millions of dollars of crypto art. And so that really got my attention that there's something here. This is a new platform. So I was like, I want to check it out. This is a collector. Let, let me try and buy my first piece of crypto art. Uh, and while Beeple's work is amazing, it just didn't really resonate uh, with me personally. And as I thought about kind of crypto and Black economic empowerment, it's like, there have to be some Black artists here. I want to support Black artists. You know, how do I do that? And so I just started asking people, of, you know, who, who are some Black artists in this space? You know, some of the, the folks at the major you know, marketplaces, you know, started sending me links. And the first one that I saw was Latabo's piece called Midnight Blues. And the moment I opened the link, there was just this emotional reaction where I was like, I have to own this. Like, <laughs> this is incredible. Not only is it just some of the most impressive digital artwork that I've seen, but it was this multidimensional piece where it you know, was one created by an artist, a young black woman that depicted a black culture and, and a black woman in a very positive way and then was animated. I thought it was like a Harry Potter painting where it was kind of living and breathing and moving. And, and I had this emotional reaction where I was like, I want to own this and I want to support this artist. And so I was like, okay, let me bid on this. I put the first bid in. I was like, all right, I think I could get this. You know, half an hour later, I got outbid. <laughs> There's a rival collector here. Uh, so then like the, I used to, to play basketball. So this competitive aspect came out. I was like, I'm not losing this piece. I need this piece. So then I had to, I found Latabo on Twitter at a DM her. I was like, I need this piece. Like, can I buy this from you? So ended up getting her to, to graciously agree to sell the piece to me. And that was the beginning. And then I started to see that all of Latabo's amazing work, you know, this isn't just Latabo. There is a Black crypto art movement that is building. And there are Black artists from all across the world that are creating amazing digital artwork. There are Black curators that are helping to put that artwork together into exhibitions in a metaverse. And then there are Black collectors who are looking at this as a part of their portfolio. And I think when you combine investment and consumption, where I couldn't justify spending that much money on art if it was hard to sell, then it's just purely purchasing it to view. Once you have the liquidity where you're buying and selling a token, you, know, you can now justify this as this is a part of my portfolio that I want to own crypto art. I want to support Black artists. And I think that these assets will be very valuable because it's amazing work that can now be seen by the world. So I'm hooked. This is now a passion borderline of an obsession and trying to do everything I can to support Black artists in the space. Well, spoken like a true collector, Kai, it sounds like you've really caught the bug. And what I think is really interesting is you're saying not only does the medium provide these new ways of representing art and being an artist, so your Harry Potter picture frame, I kind of love that, that image. I think we all can visualize what that looks like. And, but the, 
the medium itself is innovative in a way that really speaks to you. And of course, let's have a particular work speaks to you as well. But also the liquidity aspect of it, the idea that if you decided you wanted to modify your collection in whatever fashion, you would have immediate access to do that, something that is also very appealing and has kind of moved you away from being distant from the art market to really, really engaged in it. So uh, with that, maybe we'll turn to you, Latavo. I'd love to just hear about your journey. You started off as a more traditional artist and switched to the digital medium. That sounds like about three years ago. Uh, and I'd love to hear about that transition, what digital art as a medium really enables you to depict, kind of to Kai's points. But then also we'd love to hear you discuss how as a digital artist you are thinking about the business around your art, how you're monetizing the art and how that relates to Kai's uh, experiences as a collector on the other side. Uh, sure, sure. Thanks for having me. I think for me, when I started off, traditional art was something that um, I did as a hobby, like a part-time thing. And I think towards my final year of high school, that's when I got an opportunity to exhibit at some um, art show. I mean, it was quite well received. And I just thought that maybe it was something that I should do part-time. At the time, I was about to study ComSci and computer science. So I was sort of like a part-time artist, sort of a full-time student. I'm a person that likes exploring with different kinds of media. And I think in that exploration, that's how I found um, digital art. I think apart from it being um, something that it's more convenient in terms of cost, especially when you get commissions and things like that. Also cost of traveling. You see, when you're, you're a traditional artist, if you get commissioned, yes, you can get paid, but then you'd need transport to travel and get the canvas. Mm -hmm. Art supplies are expensive, you know, and so forth and so forth. So I think um, that was also another contributing factor that sort of drew me into digital art. That's basically how I got into digital art. I was just sort of um, intrigued by the space and Digital art is still relatively new. So I think that's what keeps it exciting because these companies and these software companies that provide and um, these drawing softwares are always trying to sort of constantly improve them, constantly sort of put in new little um, elements and tools that we can use to create. So I think that also just keeps me on my toes and excited to sort of keep on creating digitally. So question to both of you, but Latabo, maybe you first. Just as I kind of remember from the early days of crypto as well, there are people who just kind of can't get their head around what this is, right? Just the idea that art can be digital for one, and also the idea that, you know, you can create a uniquely identified NFT version of that. And so you're seeing the same questions. Just to give a little bit of a, an anecdote here, as I was trolling around last night, I noticed that, you know, the senior art critic at New York Magazine, Pulitzer Prize winning author on how to be an artist responded to something on Twitter saying, what is an NFT? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I think he might've been trolling because he then later on asked the question, what is a blockchain? And I just think he kind of at least should have that sense of what it is. <laughs> but the sense is that there's still, for whom this thing doesn't seem to make sense. How could you have art in this kind of ephemeral environment? Does that matter? I mean, do you need to convince the traditional art world of the value of what you're doing? Or is the beauty of this, the fact that you're reaching out to set the standards for what is collectible and what's valued precisely because they're coming at it from a different perspective? I think it doesn't really matter. I don't think NFTs should be there or we should constantly have to try and sort of convince people that are more into just traditional art to sort of jump into the bandwagon. But I do think it's important to always sort of, since crypto art is still new, I think it's always important to always just trying to educate someone about what crypto is, what blockchain is, the importance of digital art if they are interested. But I think that's all we can really do. 
I think the beauty of um, crypto art comes from the fact that those who know, know. Those who understand, understand. And we're more than willing to sort of explain. But I don't think it's a thing of us having to convince anyone what the importance of crypto art. I think the more research you do into crypto art, you sort of will understand why it's important. Kai, you know, assuming we do, I mean, and there is already, Tabo says we don't need to, there's already a market that's, that's evolving here and presumably it will grow. Where do you see the most exciting use cases for this? How does this technology transform the business models and also for collectors for that matter to participate? So maybe just go back to the last question for a second. I do not care what the traditional art world thinks. <laughs> I've never engaged with the traditional art. I've, I've never gone to an auction. I've never bought a physical piece. I, I don't care. And many of my friends don't care either. <laughs> like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't interact with the traditional art world, but we interact with NFTs and we are, interact with crypto art. And so I think this is onboarding new people into becoming art collectors that never would have been uh, in the traditional world in a much more fun and social uh, an easier way to do that. So I don't think it really matters at all. And I think the other way that I approach it is Instagram kind of made it very easy for people to be photographers or at least feel like you're a photographer. And you create something that you put a filter on it, you can reach a lot of people uh, that you couldn't have before. And I think crypto art lowers that barrier where you know it's easy for anyone to create a piece of art that can reach a lot of people. And I think that that's a fantastic thing. I'm no expert on the traditional art world, but when I talk to Black artists, they have not been welcomed into it. They've been excluded mm -hmm. from it mm -hmm. in many ways. And so I think what's so powerful and amazing to me is now the judge of what art is valuable you know, isn't a, a small group of people at a gallery. It's the internet. And who creates global internet culture? It's young Black people. That's who creates it. And now like, who curates it and who promotes it and so when you take that power of determining you know, what art is valued and you can use it to be able to support the artists that you like, I think that's what's so powerful uh, about crypto art. And then I also, from a collector's perspective, uh, after I've gotten involved in crypto art, it's kind of changed the way that I felt about social media, where to me, the idea of a like is like the most shallow thing in the world. Like Latabo is spending you know, hours or days or months creating beautiful artwork. If she posts it on Instagram or Twitter and I just like it, like, what, what does that mean? I comment, you know, looks good, like we have good peace. It doesn't mean anything. And so I like the, I think someone tweeted the other day, buying is the new liking. You know, now there's a way that you can express, you know, mm -hmm. not only is that something that you like, but that's something that you're encouraging and that's something you want to invest in. And so what you're purchasing with the token is not just an image, you're purchasing a social connection to that artist where now I'm incentivized uh, to help Latabo you know, become one of the most famous artists in the world because she deserves it because she's created this incredible work. Mm -hmm. So, Kai, and there's so much there I want to follow up on because I, I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, that's why in my monologue where I was really trying to point out, right, there is this historical redlining that's happened to Black artists and Black creators from the traditional establishment. And we certainly see that reflected across other parts of our society which is something we've talked about on the show quite a bit, like which parts of society have easy and ready access and which have to kind of fight their way into access to things like banking systems or whatever it might be. And I'm reminded of when I was on the board of, of the SF Symphony's uh, Symphonics, which is like the youth symphony, right? 
kind of bored and they were like, well, how do we get more young people interested in coming to the symphony? And the answer ultimately was, well, you don't really, you create a nightclub at the symphony and you have musicians that interact with people and then they become, you know, it has to be a different model. And so what I really love about crypto art, digital art and crypto art is exactly the things you're talking about. It's an opportunity to have a different critic. Being an art critic is going to be a very, very different thing when it comes to digital art. It already is proving to be such because you have the opportunity for a lot more people to weigh in in a formal way on what reflects and resonates with them. And I think that also the idea here is, you know, it may be that previously, like I didn't buy traditional art for a long time because I couldn't afford it. I simply straight up couldn't afford it. But if I could have had an opportunity to support an artwork or demonstrate in some way, or even like fractionally own it, right? That would have actually meant something emotional to me because there are pieces that I have the reaction to that you've described that you have to tell this particular piece. Uh, that I also felt that way. And I would have welcomed a chance to engage in some fashion in support of that at the time, contemporary artist. So I think there's a lot of models here where there's this more, there's going to be an engagement that happens between the collector and the creator that is more instant. There's going to be uh, the idea of being like a fan of someone is going to have meaning that actually supports that creator in a very visceral and meaningful way during their lifetime. We talked on our episode with Nana about how so many artists only achieved posthumous fame, let alone prosperity. Their estates became very wealthy. They themselves, you know, died broken a garret of horrible diseases that were a result of the fact they couldn't make a living wage or an income. I want to go back to you and ask one more question. And I'll flag for our listeners on Clubhouse. If you have a question, please throw your hand up. But Latavo, I'd love to talk to you about how you think as an artist about this monetization question. You know, how do you think about engagement, people that are captivated by your work, of which there are so many? Um, how do you decide? where and how to release a piece of art? Like what's the process around that piece of it? I'd love to, to learn more about that. So you talk about the process of promoting it? That's right. So after you've created a piece of art and it's ready to put up for sale or viewing, or what does that look like, right? So the traditional model is kind of like you get I mean, it's a gallery show or whatever. What does that look like in the digital world? And how do you convert that into this monetization model? Yeah, well, before um, NFTs, it was just simply like um, just uploading a random picture on Instagram, really, about posting, um, doing promos, or sort of like doing some upcoming announcements before you upload your work, using a few hashtags um, on all of your social media, up uploading it on your website. That's the most you could really do when it came to sharing your work with the world. Great. And so then when it comes to NFTs, how do you think about, do you, formally issue an NFT and you announce that and release that, you know, how do you decide which platforms to use all these kinds of questions? We'd love some, some information about that process for you. It's still a bit the same, just uploading and promoting your work. I think what I usually do is I'll usually announce that I'd be uploading an NFT a few days before sort of on my Twitter, Instagram, and also we have Discord channels. Superior has a Discord channel. A lot more other uh, crypto platforms probably have Discord channels, and those are just where most collectors and artists are. So yeah, and also on Telegram. Um, I think Super, yeah, Super does have a Telegram group. So you just share sort of where you're allowed to share. Then you just tokenize your work. And once it's tokenized, you do the promotion thing again. But that's it, yeah. Yeah. One thing I love about this is it's kind of like, you know, album drops, right? So like your artists back in the day, you'd have to like line up at whatever tower records or whatever and like wait, you know, in line. And then you'd wait for an album to drop on your, whatever your listening app might be. And so similarly, we're seeing the ability of a digital artist, a visual artist to do this in a way that would have been impossible. It was just, it was just not possible until the advent of these kinds of opportunities. And then, you know, the, the, the bidding that Kai talked about is a really common phenomenon. So 
there are artists who now have, you know, name recognition, who have really sparked tremendous interest in the community and they're able to bid up, right? So it's not just that you, you have one set price, you can actually generate this kind of interest and demonstrate the value of your work using an active market that's highly liquid, which is just unbelievably powerful compared to, you know, just for the sake of argument, traditional model where your work is in a gallery and someone comes along and there's a fixed price and they maybe know the dealer and there's like a backroom kind of negotiation, you know, this sort of stuff is not really what happens here. It's out there, it's visible, it's public, it's an open transaction, it's an open bidding process. Uh, and that's an extraordinarily powerful way of catapulting awareness of this. And I certainly think that, you know, the generation of digital natives, this is already very familiar to the Instagram, let's call it generation, but we're growing a generation of crypto natives for whom this is going to be a very normal way of interacting. And again, that fluidity, the creation of a stakeholder set that's interested in a particular artist's contributions to art and to society uh, is going to create all kinds of models that we can't even yet imagine. Michael, maybe I'll turn it over to you for comments before we open it up to the clubhouse room. Yeah. As I said, folks, if you want to make any comments, ask any questions, I see, I'm just going to do a quick shout out to some friends I see in there. There's Heidi P, there's Micah Johnson, who I communicated with last night, and, and Tully, of course, from Coindesk and others as well. Eric, I see there. A lovely to have you uh, joining us. Feel free, as I said, put up your hands. We'll incorporate you into the conversation. But Kai, I want to actually throw something to you. You know, it picks up a little bit about the way you were describing the opportunity you have. I like the phrase you said of buying is the new like. And in our conversation last week with Nana Decking, we talked about this concept that, you know, traditionally art collectors have played this role essentially as a benefactor. They purchase art and they'll sometimes quite often leave it permanently on display in a museum. And in the process, therefore, are serving the public interest in being able to view the art, but also indirect supporting the artist. It strikes me that in the NFT world that we can kind of make an analogy here where the internet itself is the museum and the ownership and the support through the NFT brings into a kind of a benefactor role. I wonder whether that's a reasonable analogy, but beyond that, how can we really leverage this in a way? Is there a way to then change the culture around the ownership of cultural goods in a way that it is, is almost like, yeah, there's bragging rights, but ultimately what you're doing is facilitating art itself for broad public consumption. And is there any tension there? Does it make it harder to actually raise money if people are just not being able to keep it for themselves? Yes, I have a ton of thoughts there. I think kind of first, what's interesting about you know, crypto art and NFTs, they enable you to directly speculate on culture and to be financially compensated for recognizing and creating you know, global culture. And I think that becomes really powerful, particularly when you just think about kind of how marketing and how you promote things online. And so like Latabo has her process of how does she promote something personally? But I feel like I'm on Latabo's team, like Latabo's head of marketing. I'm here to tell the world about her because her work is amazing. And I have made an investment in her in buying her early pieces. And so now I'm financially incentivized to share her with everyone I know. So I will annoy you because everyone I talk to, I'm going to show a picture of Latabo's piece. And that didn't happen before. You know, if I love Latabo's work and I, I support her on Patreon, you know, that's great. I'm supporting her, but there's no upside for me if her Patreons go from a hundred people to, to a million people. And so now you kind of create this volunteer army. And I think we've kind of seen this in the crypto ecosystem 
where you have crypto communities where people, you know, they're not employed by the project, you know, but they have Bitcoin and now they're talking about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. That is now applying to artists where there are now armies of people who love Latavo's work and want to talk about it and share it with the world. And so that process of how does she get discovered is no longer dependent upon her. It's no longer dependent upon, you know, her hiring a team. Her collector base are now all investors uh, and promoters of her. And I think if we really fast forward on this, you know, what's really going to happen is Wall Street Bets is coming to art. Um, and if you see the power that when you can mobilize a collective group of people around one common theme, and, and particularly when it's social activism, when there's a message and there's something broader than just money. And I think the opportunity of you know, investing in and buying and promoting Black crypto artists you know, it is a type of activism. And it's a type where you can actually start to create change that you want to see. You could start to help people get recognized that haven't been recognized for work that they've been doing their entire career. Uh, and so when you can take a story, when you can take something that's that powerful and mobilize a group of people behind it, you know, you could actually, you know, start to change who are the artists that, that people talk about. And so that's why I'm so excited. And, and we've kind of just seen the early days of the power that communities have to determine and help determine which artists they want to support and to help those artists succeed. And I really love this idea of monetizing evangelism, right? Like you have, not only are you talking about this work because you feel passionately about it and it speaks to you and you think it will speak to others and you want to support that entire movement, even beyond just one artist, there is actually also incentive in it for you to do so. Like you actually are rewarded for that in a way that is tangible, that is meaningful and that is liquid. And you're right. It's just a much more powerful ownership stake that you have in that particular model than you had in a more traditional kind of model. And that applies across all kinds of NFT creation, even beyond, you know, digital artists. And I think that's something that's really interesting to see. There was a running joke, you know, for a little while on Twitter when NFTs were just sort of really taking root, where very popular crypto Twitter folks, like celebrities, were getting their tweets actually made into NFTs, right? It was kind of a running joke. Like, now I own that. I own your, I own the image of your tweet, right? It was pretty funny. But all jokes aside, I mean, I'll speak to America now. There's a history in America, I think Kai Tisman, you alluded to earlier, minority communities, not just Black community, minority communities as a general matter being appropriated, having some of their culture taken and um, used you know, by more mainstream industry and not ever getting compensated for that or even recognized for it. And that's why it's a history of lawsuits in the music business right around this happening with Black artists specifically who try to assert like that riff was mine or that whatever it might be belonged to me. And the challenges around trying to prove that in court and the process you have to go through to actually get financial remuneration for something that you yourself created. Now you have a chance to actually do this in a much uh, more visceral, powerful, and immediate way where it's inarguable. It's inarguable that that was your creation. It was there. It was like, it's there for everyone to see. And so I'm curious, Latava, to hear from you just about, you know, how you feel about that ownership part of it, right? Like, is there something in there? Do you feel more confident in releasing your work? How do you feel about copycat artists? things like that, given the NFT model and what comfort does that provide to you or, or not? Um, I think um, NFT provides us, not just me, but just all of us and digital artists, a lot of comfort. I think us digital artists, we're always been concerned with the authenticity about our, our work. You know, it's easy to just save someone's artwork and just claim it to be yours. So I think NFT art, the crypto space, like blocks that out, you know, removes that. So I think for me, it's something that is comfortable and really removed that major worry when it came to protecting my work. 
I believe we have a, a hand up. We have a question from Zach. So Zach, why don't you fire away? Hey, everyone. I appreciate you guys. I just, uh, I joined this room because I saw Micah was in here and I just wanted to say, Micah, I love you, dude. What you're doing is incredible. I've been trying to get my buddies to buy NFT and digital art for quite some time now. And, and I've been laughed at and ridiculed because none of them got it. But then they saw the Genesis drop and all of a sudden, you know, all my friends, you know, rushed on Nifty to buy it because it all just made sense to them. And <laughs> Genesis and the coup, it just all makes sense to me. And I get it and I get what you're all about. So I just wanted to come up here to say that I love you, dude. You're an OG and a legend. And I uh, can't wait to continue on this journey with you. Thanks, Michael. Why don't you just introduce yourself quickly and then feel free to respond. And then Heidi will go to you next. I just wanted to talk to Fabo, really. It's like, ever since I got introduced to her work, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from the way you work with your color palettes and things like that. I really like the use of colors, the blues I saw. And I just want to say, like, I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. And it's really cool, too, to see the artists that are coming out of South Africa. It's amazing. <laughs> so, like, one of my favorite artists, definitely. Traditional, physical, digital, doesn't matter incredibly incredibly inspired by what you do i did have a question though have you always been digital or was there a point in your life where you were working physical with oils or in that manner um i've been digital for around about three years but i've been traditional basically all my life really i've always been um, a creator but i've been digital just for only three years yeah how do you find that balance between you know the physical and traditional like do you ever feel like yourself going back you know, I want to start painting or do you do both at the same time? Professionally, I just focused on digital art, but personally, I do do some traditional work. Right now, I'm mainly focusing on smoke drawings and um, oil paints. Those are just personal pieces of mine, yeah. Guys pushing you. I'm going to be a massive collector here and I'm very energized. <laughs> I just you. want to frame this for an audience who may not know Black Crypto Art. This is like having two of the Avengers talking to each other, like on our show in our midst, just to kind of really frame what's happening right now. So I am very excited about this, but I also want to acknowledge that someone else came on up. So Michael, I think you want to go next. Great to have you on. Heidi and I <laughs> go back from a few years ago, a key figure in the LA art scene for a while, but I believe you're in Phoenix now, unless you've gone back to LA. Nonetheless, lovely to have you on board and let's hear your thoughts. Heidi, peace. Hi, Michael. It's so great to hear your voice. And Sheila, great to hear yours as well. Thank you for hosting this. I just wanted to make two comments. First of all, my mission over the past four years has really been to help build the blockchain ecosystem in Southern California and abroad, and primarily with business and government and universities. You know, there have been ups and downs on that journey correlated to the market cap of Bitcoin in many cases. But what we always thought with our nonprofit was we truly saw the mass adoption and the mass understanding of blockchain when artists start to communicate and utilize blockchain. And I believe that we are seeing the beginning of that. I've been participating on Clubhouse and some of the rooms and where there are thousands of artists learning about cryptocurrency and how to mint their own NFT and then communicating that to the masses. And my heart is bursting with excitement. <laughs> I, I truly see this now, the, the artists connecting with people that are not necessarily in this blockchain space and really bridging that. So I'm just full of lots of hope 
for all of the opportunities that we see ahead of us for the artist community and for the blockchain community as well. My question to you, Latabo, and it's a pleasure to meet you. I've been meeting with several artists and some things that I've heard a string of consistency through our conversations is this opportunity to, yes, promote and get their work in the masses on the internet platforms, but there's also this unique opportunity to collaborate with other artists that perhaps we've never really seen before. So such as a musician might be able to connect with and collaborate with a visual artist and put those products together into one NFT. So I'm excited about that. Lataba, do you have any thoughts around that? Are you seeing that as a possibility? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I actually did a collaboration not so long ago with a bot, actually, who learns how to paint. So what the bot does is he used um, one of my paintings as a reference and he sort of repainted it in his own style. So yeah, there's definitely uh, probably going to be a lot more um, collaborations between um, artists and different kinds of other artists. So yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> I just have yeah, to that's so cool. Internet. Very, very cool. So cool. I love that idea, right? So one thing we've been talking about a lot, thank you so much, Heidi, for the question. We've been talking about quite a bit at the forum, where are the intersections of different technologies happening? You know, where are we seeing robotics and AI and machine learning and, and blockchain and crypto, like all these things kind of coming together. So another example that came up just today is JP Morgan using uh, doing uh, payments through satellites, like using space tech and combining that with crypto to actually make these payments like happen kind of in space that can then, you know, get around weather events and things like that. So another, you know, here's another example, right, where you're working with an actual bot that's kind of mimicking and imitating and your the whole like life imitates art kind of concept, you know, really making that very visceral and real is just extremely, extremely interesting. I'm curious also to see, I mean, to Heidi's point, one thing I've also been hearing quite a bit about is mixed media. And so how you can think about mixed media in an even broader way and create almost ensemble art, you know? So the way that you have like a jazz ensemble, for example, and everyone brings their instrument, but they create this thing that is very unique and exists at one time only and, you know, never again, right? Unless it's recorded. Similarly, you could actually have this kind of multimedia artistry where you brought together a group of different artists with different experiences or expertise and created a very unique piece of art that could be then sealed essentially via the NFT model and then kind of be super non-fungible, but it's also completely unique in that way. So I'm curious if this is something that's far out in the future, or if you see this kind of new multimedia artistry being something that could work through collaboratives. Yeah, I don't think it's something that's far out. I think the crypto art space allows there to be a lot of experimentation. So I don't think it's quite far out. I think we're yet to see a lot of very interesting collaborations. I was particularly interested in this bot idea. I think we all were, Latabo, when you <laughs> talked about it. Looking at this whole idea of generative art and the obvious natural intersection between that and, and NFTs and the digital art space. We're seeing people now buying things like Eula Beats, which is generative, algorithmically driven art with music beats attached to it. And there's a whole market forming around these things. Correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is a lot of these, the bot perhaps that you're dealing with, it's an artist behind that who's basically written the algorithm to create the art in some sort of randomized form. So it has the input of the artist. And it reminds me in some respects of like Warhol working with, you know, people in the factory and giving them the inspiration and then calling that Warhol if somebody else. I mean, is that the right way to think about it? Is there any concern that the humans 
end up being removed from this process and that now machines take over? Because some of the generative art is just truly beautiful. Or is it always going to throw back to that human inspiration? Well, I believe that I don't think that bots would be able to sort of wipe out or take over the art space. I think it's more of like a, I need you, you need me type of thing. So yeah, definitely. I think bots will always need sort of inspiration from human beings. So they always need to use reference from like human art. So if there is no human art, I don't think there will be much um, interesting work that would be created. As a collector, I, I think, you know, the potential for programmable art is fascinating. You know, the idea that it is living and breathing and, you know, the weather in the background could change, you know, based upon the weather outside or uh, I, I think there are a lot of really interesting things that you could do. And so still early, but but trying to follow and understand it. I just have to go back to this point that like NFTs expand the definition of what is art. And it makes sense that there's so much content that is being created uh, every day you know, across the world. And what of that content, you know, which pieces of it should be collected? Which pieces of it should be kept as internet history? The same way that there are you know, physical pieces, uh, both of art and, and other kind of objects that become part of you know, history in the physical world, I think it's important to have a record of internet history. Uh, so I think it was Jacob from Zora that said like, not every photo gets printed, like not every you know, image or, or piece of digital content gets minted. And so there's this barrier of kind of what is something that is significant enough because it's new or it's different or it's creative that is worth kind of minting to establish some permanence and then some ownership of that versus all of the content that we see kind of coming at us every day that we see once then it disappears. What should be put in that record of, of internet history is, and that could be writing, that could be music, that could be all different types of things that now become, I'd say, internet artifacts. Uh, mm-hmm. And that kind of is a broader definition than just art in one thing. So Kai, I'd love to make that a little more personal for you. You know, when I became aware of your interest in this was because I saw something that you tweeted about when you took a piece of history and you created an NFT about it. So maybe you can tell us a bit about that if you're comfortable. Yeah, so I think the other theme here that's really interesting is like NFTs are, collectors are becoming artists and artists are becoming collectors. Like I just saw Latabo just, you know, picked up two pieces from Super. So it's like these things are going together and I think artists are the best collectors as a collector, I've never been a good artist, but I'm like, I want to understand this. Let me try and create a piece of art. And you start to see these collaborations together. And so uh, I had a story that was meaningful to me that you know, I thought about and like, had in my mind for a long time. And my dad had sent me an image. It was kind of a census record of my grandfather. And it was just this really powerful image that had this kind of emotional meaning to me. I was like, this is an image I want to exist. Like, mm-hmm. I want to create kind of this image in a story I want to mint it, put it on a blockchain, and I want to pass this down to my kids or my grandkids someday if I'm lucky enough. And so it's just this moment of there's so many things that happen in the physical world, so many things that happen in the digital world. What are the things that you want, you know, an anthropologist 100 years from now, when they're looking back at internet history in 2021, uh, like, what do you want them to be able to see? Because who knows what happens to what I posted on Instagram like last night, like, that's not going to be a part of the historical record. Uh, so I think that it creates these tools and lowers the accessibility 
uh, the barrier so that I would have never, I haven't created a piece of physical art since I was in kindergarten. But I was like, <laughs> let me try and create a piece of digital art. Mm-hmm. And it's something fun that I can do. And I think it helps you to establish, I'm really interested in this notion of a digital cultural identity yeah. that, you know, I want to be able to have something that, you know, follows me around online. And so if anyone interacts with me or comes across me, they know more about who I am and who I am is more than just my job. It's more than just kind of what I had for dinner yesterday. So what are the things that really resonate and make me who I am? And I feel like art and writing and kind of self-expression, these are all areas to do that. Traditionally hard to be able to show online, NFTs and crypto art uh, enable that. You know, and this is something you, you and I kind of talked about a lot is digital personhood and the idea that who you are online, you can represent that in a certain way and that there's an art to that. And so even more beyond the kind of time capsule element, right, where it's like, what do I want to kind of preserve and record as the record of who I am? I think there is this amazing opportunity, which is a part of what really drew me to the piece you created um, around, you know, balancing the inequity in our historical record. And so there are, you know, so many stories of groups of people, communities, individuals, you know, who have not been given space or air in the way we teach history. And I think as any listener of this show will know, you know, I'm a student of history and I think it's really important to reflect regularly on our history and, and how, how are we recording it? Who is, who's getting to tell the story? Who's empowered to tell those stories? How do we go back and, and modify some of the accounts that are really told from one particular point of view? And so to me, the idea of, it was just so powerful to me to see the piece of art that you created because it represented all of those things to me. Like the idea that, you know, we can through uh, community empowerment, create this record. Each individual can create with pieces like the one that you have, create this record of a community that was lost to history and that isn't spoken about, you know, in the way that other parts of our community or society are and have been. And this is true. I mean, I th- I'm thinking globally about this, right? I'm thinking globally about this phenomenon of the conqueror telling the story and what happens then to the historical fossil record, if you will, you know, of those who were, who were not in that position. So uh, it looks like we have someone else coming on up. So um, Erica, and we'd love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Can. I um, am building a community alongside Kai called Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment. Tabos, huge congratulations on you just uh, stepping out and creating all the great work that you have. I lived in South Africa a few years back, and it's one of the richest places culturally for artistic expression. So I'm excited to get behind you, mobilize behind you, and make it clear that across Africa, our artistic expression, the demand for African creativity is this now being the best time to capitalize. I just have a comment, honestly, and uh, it's around just the drop that we mobilized around for Micah is that I think what's important in art, money, and power is our relationship with money. I think the importance of design as we create the future of the internet, as NFTs reveal themselves as being incredibly lucrative. I think designing for community, designing for people to learn and understand more as they are experiencing is really meaningful. And and being able to take stock of the various marketplaces for NFTs, it shows that we still have a ways to bring everybody along with us as we go on this movement. So I just wanted to call out the importance of design and actually the way we come together and the way we make art available being really important and powerful and lucrative and creative and artistic. So that's all. Thank you. Just one, one comment that I'd add. Thanks, Eric. He's like, one of the really interesting things that we've seen as, as we've really started 
uh, trying to connect you know, black leaders in, in crypto, entrepreneurs, builders, investors a, across the world is kind of crypto is bringing together black people across continents. And uh, so there's so much activity that's happening you know, in Nigeria, in South Africa, in Brazil, uh, and this notion of a global black diaspora and how kind of black culture kind of ties black people together across the world, there haven't been a lot of great ways to manifest that. And I think crypto and Bitcoin has been one uh, where Nigeria is one of the most active markets mm -hmm. uh, in terms of adoption and interest. Uh, and black Americans increasingly have been very active due to, to many leaders, Isaiah, Lamar and, and others uh, that are really driving the, the message around Bitcoin. Crypto art feels like just the, this next opportunity uh, that we're kind of seeing the ability for black artists all across the world and black people to support other black people from across the world. Uh, and so there's more interaction that's happening between black people in the United States and black people in South Africa and black people in Nigeria than I've ever seen before. And I think crypto is becoming this bridge of a global digital economy and new form of commerce that's connecting that is going to be really exciting to see where it goes. So I, I want to just, uh, first of all, thank Eric and for, for highlighting this concept of the relationship with money as well. And having your response to that, Kai, is really relevant. It also harkens back, Sheila, to the fact that our very first Money Reimagined show, and we had Nikki Enright on. The Globo. The Globo, a mixed media artist. <laughs> uh, I will even hold up a Globo. My Globos are hanging up. Yeah, I'm not Globo. in the right room, but I've got my Globos right. framed. No one can see this on Clubhouse, <laughs> but I'm putting it on the video, although the background is confusing. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it, it's an artistic form around money that speaks to the fact that it is an imagined concept and that we build and stories around money that then give it its power. So I, I see so much that is radical about crypto. It enables us to tell different stories about things. I'm going to use that as a bizarre segue to ask a question of you, Latabo. You know, old art is often in its provenance, that it has this history, this record, and, it was, and that's where this kind of information record is critical and the blockchain's role in that is, for some people in the fine art world, is seen as valuable. But contemporary artists have obviously, in addition to their talent, have often required of this person or that person to be launched into the public domain. And, and that strange, awkward dependency, I think, is sometimes there. The beauty, it seems to me, of the crypto environment, and to Kai's point, that anybody can step in now and kind of be supporting artists through this process seems very, very liberating. But I was also just noticing that what's happening in the collector space in a Twitter feed from somebody a couple of days ago talking about what they were choosing to buy. And they were buying up crypto punks, for example, and they were buying up very early generative art. And their argument was that in a few years time, when digital art is truly a thing and NFTs are truly a thing, people are gonna look back and say, okay, this was the very first thing. Just wondering whether, do we run the risk of just recreating the old, I suppose, bias towards history and an old in initial establishment? Or, or is this a radically new environment? I mean, how do we deal with that? I think um, it, it, it'll be dependent. I think it'll be dependent on a lot of things. I think in a couple of years, when we look back into digital art, maybe crypto uh, punks might be sort of the main thing that we're looking at. But as a person, it's important to always just always try and do your own research. I think also with art, you know, just your own research that like there was only the Mona Lisa piece at the time that it was created, but it's quite popular. Um, I think, it's sort of the same thing with um, crypto art. Um, if you are have that much interest and you 
dig deeper into it, even if it's CryptoPunks that lead you into it, I think you'll realize that there's a lot more um, contributing things that led to where digital art will be um, then. I think one of the exciting things for me is it feels like it's up to collectors. Uh, and as collectors come into the space, you know, there's just such a small number of people who are collecting NFTs in, in crypto art. And it makes sense that the initial collectors are you know, people who've been in crypto for a while. And so crypto punks you know, kind of become the status signal of, of something for people who've been in crypto. But for new collectors coming in, uh, you know, there, there's not as much context of kind of why a, a crypto punk is, uh, is valuable. And so I think at the end of the day, what collectors are buying are stories. You know, they're buying experiences. And I think that, you know, while CryptoPunks was one thing that's new, there will be plenty of other interesting new things. The first, you know, collaboration with a bot that Latabo does. And like, uh, it's collectors can start to mobilize in a way that they've never mobilized before. And I, again, I don't know much about the traditional art world. I haven't spent any time in it, but I would imagine that it's kind of small individual, you know, collectors who, you know, all, they have a lot of money and they're deciding who they're going to collect. We haven't really seen... 1 million, 10 million, 100 million people say, you know, I only have $10, but I'm going to direct that towards an artist that represents a story and represents some principles and a movement that resonate with me. And so when you kind of create that low barrier to entry, I think what becomes popular and, and what becomes valuable, it's no longer just what a few people with a lot of money think, it can be what many people with a little bit of money think. And I think that's what happens with memes. Like it's the same thing as, as a meme. It's not a few rich people decided they like a meme. Uh, it's the world decides they like a meme and then that becomes valuable. And now you know, memes can be owned, you know, art can spread like a meme uh, and that creates you know, so many opportunities for new things that happen to then you know, have the perceived value uh, that something like a CryptoPunks uh, has had because it's the first. It's a really interesting point that you made to start with there as well, Kai, about the fact that, yeah, there's traditional crypto folks and crypto time, of course, moves very quickly. So the idea that you're buying a bit of history, but the nice thing about this moment, at least the way it appears to me, is that it's suddenly opening up this space to a wide group of people. So people who are coming in as part of this new wave are almost redefining history. It's like this sort of acceleration of the process. Where does this go? Like, what do you think is the big driver right now what is what is exciting you in terms of artistic forms and creativity that's emerging out of this that you see as the big trend of the next year or so what's really exciting about this space is just the accessibility of collector to artist and artist to collector and i think when it comes to just the future of nfts i think not just thinking about the next year but sort of like 10 years down the line what I'm trying to say is that our younger generation are mostly on our phones, tablets, or so sort of like we do everything on technological devices, meaning that art eventually will be something, digital art will be something that it would be of more interest. Obviously, NFTs will follow. So I think when it comes to the future of NFTs, I think it'll be definitely more popular, especially when our younger generation like gets older and become adults and you know have their own financial freedom. So yeah. Kai, any thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's less about, you know, individual uh, art. Uh, it's more about the aspect that, you know, this is a social movement. You know, buying Black crypto art is activism. 
And I think, you know, as people recognize, you know, by supporting black artists, uh, by providing them with resources, uh, you know, you're kind of, you know, amplifying work that has been hidden for many years, for, for decades, forever. And then what that leads to is they then support other black artists. Uh, Latabo is now a role model. She is, is supporting other artists. And so I think it is an investment that both, you know, has a significant opportunity uh, to, to be able to increase in value. And it's an investment in attacking racial wealth disparities. Uh, and instead of looking backwards towards, you know, physical property and all of the redlining and structural disadvantages uh, that Black people and other you know, underserved communities have had, looking forward towards digital property and digital ownership, you know, and how can we ensure that, you know, as these, these new digital economies emerge, you know, we get the choice of, you know, who do we want to support? You know, what principles are important to us? And then that there's amazing people like Latabo and, and Micah that are you know, creating work that speaks directly to those principles. So I'm excited to figure out how we can bring more people into this space, how we can onboard more artists, how we can have more collective social expression by supporting Black crypto art. I mean, I couldn't think of a better way to close, Kai. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that to me, what's so exciting about this over the longer term is what it's going to open up in terms of economic empowerment, particularly for the Black community. But for the artistic community as a general matter as well, which I think is just, it's the opportunity to level the playing field in an environment that has not historically honored the immediate need of artists to generate income, frankly, so they can keep creating, right? So they can focus on this full time and not have it be, Latavo, to your early days, right? You were kind of, you're dabbling in it a bit and now you can, one hopes like over the course of time, this is going to be very lucrative for you, um, which is, which is beyond well-deserved, but I hope that that is indicative of what's going to happen to a much broader community. I'll wrap just by commenting on my very favorite topic I always bring up, which is, you know, governance, right? And so I think a lot of what so many of us were drawn to the crypto space because of the new models of governance it provides the new and governance really leads to these models around stakeholder engagement, empowerment, how do you create a chain of empowerment? So by empowering one artist, you're then empowering a whole community of artists. You're empowering a movement. You're empowering and creating visibility uh, to a movement that can ultimately really help raise awareness about all kinds of other causes, all kinds of other injustices, whatever it might be. And to me, that is what is extraordinarily powerful about crypto as a general matter and about NFTs and what I'm focusing on in the future. Michael, to answer your question going forward. So with that, uh, we will be hanging out on Clubhouse for a bit. Thank you so much to our guests, Latavo Huma and Kai Sheffield for joining us on this week's Money Reimagined. Thank you again to everyone listening and stay tuned for our next episode. You've been listening to Coindesk's Money Reimagined. This episode was recorded live over Clubhouse, an audio-only social network that's quickly becoming the place to be in our distributed culture. This episode featured Michael J. Casey, Sheila Warren, Latabo Huma, and Kai Sheffield. Our theme song is Shepherd, and this episode was edited by Michelle Musel, produced and announced by Adam B. Levine. Do you have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And stay tuned for next week's episode when we take a break from NFTs to dig into Cambodia's fast-approaching central bank digital currency with the folks creating it. From all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.